ready to keep you company wherever you are. Carte Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. Welcome to another episode of the Home Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. Coming your way this week, Mother Knows Best, not quite when it comes to Joburg's current mayor, Cabello Bumanda. It's not just an international affair, Ferial reminds us why South Africans should care about Russia. Bundle up, ESCOM warns of stage 8 load shedding this winter. And from the periphery of the justice system to center stage, we celebrate the NPA's move to improve child maintenance processes. That and more, so let's get into it. A very big welcome and hello to you. Thank you for tuning into another jam-packed whole week news wrap with the Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. My name is Masa Gegana and I am with the esteemed veteran journalist from Daily Maverick and editor. Ferial, how are you doing? Are you keeping warm? Hi Masa, keeping very warm. I'm at the Financial Book Festival and it's beautiful discussions and also a beautiful day. Yeah. Wonderful. I want us to kickstart this week whole week news wrap talking about a story that we broke on Todd Blanche about our new city of Johannesburg mayor, Cabello Kwamanda. This story has gained so much traction and what we've learned about Johannesburg's new mayor, Cabello Kwamanda, who is from Protea North in Soweto, the exact same township I'm from, to tell you something yes. about me too, for real. Um, it was very difficult when we set out to do the story on him. His team immediately declined the interview saying, you know, the mayor is trying to get into his new seat and his new role. So he won't be doing any media interviews. And we said, sure, we understand. So could you please then answer some of the questions we have? Because we couldn't find as so much as a public profile or a bio. Many of us actually hadn't heard of Gabelo Guamanda before he became the mayor of the city of Johannesburg. And now when you look at this recent election of a mayor that was done through the coalition parties, we know that Action SA, for instance, put forward Funzingubeni, who's been at MNC, who is somebody who has a track record, who comes from a finance background that we know very well. The DA had again put up Dr. Paul Palate. Her credentials also, of course, speak for themselves. And then suddenly here came Aldermas Gavilokwamanda and nobody knew anything about him. I watched that with such great interest, Masa, because, you know, my main day job is to, to be a city's editor at the Daily Maverick. And then I watch Johannesburg most closely. So like you, I try to look up Cabello Gomando when it was clear to me he was going to become mayor. And I couldn't find anything about the young man. It was quite disturbing. And so when we did get an opportunity to speak to Sahanif Hendricks, who's the leader of Al Jamaa and a member of parliament, some of his responses were quite astonishing. And what we saw in that five-minute insert was actually condensed from an hour-long interview. With and what I could deduce from my interaction with Mr. Hendricks is that he too doesn't know Gabriel Guamanda too well either. Not only had he not seen his CV, but he knew very little about him and his background prior to two years ago. I was pretty gobsmacked when I watched your interview where the head of Al Jama said that he had done due diligence on the person they put forward to be the mayor of one of Africa's biggest and most important cities. And he said that his due diligence had been speaking to Cabello's mom. Now, of course, anybody's mom is going to say that their mm. child is the best person for that role. But what I 
wanted to talk to you about today is that because I look at African cities a lot, I've been looking at some of the mayors of cities like Kigali, like Addis Ababa, like Nairobi, mm. and like Freetown. And what you are very clearly seeing there is that governments deploy their best people to be the mayors of cities. And what's really interesting to me is that for its own purposes, the ANC is busy deal-making with the EFF, and it hasn't chosen a person of the caliber of the quality that I've seen of other leading African cities, Masa. It is quite interesting because those leading African cities that you're mentioning are doing pretty well in the emerging markets. And we know that we've kind of hit a stagnant rate and things aren't going too well for South Africa. So it seems to be an analogy for the state of our economies when you look at Addis Ababa and Kigali and compare it with the city of Johannesburg. Absolutely. Growth of countries is driven in the cities. And I'm wondering when that coalition elected Kabela Guamanda to be the mayor, are they thinking in those continental and global terms or is it only about deal making for the short term? And I'm increasingly coming to the view that it is about short term deal making because like you, I've asked for interviews with Tapela Ahmad, the person and preceded Cabello Guamanda and wasn't given those interviews. When they say that part of the vetting process included talks with his mother, talks with his community, and ultimately the vetting was done by the African National Congress. In the same breath, Aljamar says a vote for them is not a vote for the ANC, but they rely on the ANC to vet their own candidates, which is all very bizarre as we're heading into our elections in 2024. I think as residents, as voters, we should be keenly watching from now already how our politicians and leaders are working around coalitions from a local government level and is this something we want at a provincial and national level? Is it something we can afford? This kind of instability that we've seen in the different metros from Ekurleni to Twani and the city of Johannesburg? I don't think so. The carte blanche piece has really taught us we have to watch extremely carefully what's being done in our names in the coalition's matter. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa announced that a delegation of African heads of state will be traveling to Russia and Ukraine in the hopes of furthering peace talks between the two warring countries. While no official date has been set, Ramaphosa did say he hopes to visit both countries as soon as possible. The delegation will consist of Senegal, Uganda, Egypt, the Republic of the Congo, Zambia, and, of course, South Africa. But first, we need to get a few other controversies out of the way. Well, moving on to our next story, the rest of the world is watching us because we, a little country in Africa, at the the bottom of Africa, have seemingly become at the center of this Russia and Ukraine war because the stance of neutrality has been challenged and it has been brought to the fore as seemingly not neutrality. From the charade that we had when we had the U.S. ambassador lambasting the South African government and saying Lady R was here to come and pick up some weapons and arms for Russia from South Africa, South African government's response going haywire and all over the place and not 
not initially categorically denying and then denying, but then we're going to do this inquiry, calling out the retired judge that's going to be costing us lots and lots of money. What do you make of this? Our minister, Naledi Pando, has now had meetings with um, the U.S. ambassador and apparently he has apologized. But he does stand by the statement that he made and the allegations, which is far more damning then I guess his conduct when you look at it in the greater scheme of things. Now we've got an African delegation that is going to try and mediate. Masa, what a story. I mean, it transported us to the top of the global news agenda, but not in a good way. When the U.S. ambassador first said that he would lay his head on a block that South Africa was exporting arms to Russia. We now have our defense minister saying that that's absolutely not true, that there wasn't even a piece of chappies on the Lady R ship going out, but confirming, <laughs> not even a chappies, Mata, but she did confirm, it's pretty clear that we shouldn't be trading with the country at war. I think the community will come down to determining when the war started and whether that delivery was indeed legal or not. And then I guess all of us are looking forward to seeing what evidence the U.S. has. I read a very interesting article, Masa, which said that what the U.S. ambassador was in fact doing was firing a shot across the bow of South Africa because the thing that they are more worried about is that Vladimir Putin of Russia shouldn't come here and be president at the BRICS summit in August. So I think from now until August, that's going to be our big geopolitical story. South Africa hosting, of course, the BRICS summit. And I think Russia and both China are looking at it as a moment to get one up on the Western alliance, of course, of of the US and of Europe. So our little country is suddenly at the middle of a global storm, and I think we're going to stay for at least the next four months. What is particularly scary for me when it comes to this, where we are going to be, as you're saying, till August, on the edge of our cultures, I mean, it brings a lot of anxiety to the ordinary South African who actually is worried about load shedding and the economy. So, so true, Masa. I was on a panel this morning with Prince Mashele, Richard Calland and Adrian Basson of News24. And um, Prince is making the point that South Africans probably are not that concerned with geopolitics, but it matters a lot because our AGOA agreement with the US is responsible for very many jobs and for about 60 billion rand a year, which is a massive part of our, our export earnings in South South Africa. But more importantly for me, the U.S. PEPFAR program pays for the AIDS drugs of really, really vulnerable South Africans for whom it is a lifeline. And I think government's responsibility must surely be first to those people rather than to an ideological closeness to Russia or to getting one up on the Americans. It has to think of its own people first and of the well-being of South Africans in, in, to be honest with you, very vulnerable circumstances if you look at load shedding, state of our economy and so on. Interested to see what this delegation from Zambia, Senegal, Uganda, Congo and Egypt, as well as South Africa, will be able to achieve when they head over to try and negotiate, what do they call it? A negotiated resolution. A mediated um, resolution. I do hope you get on the plane and bring us a first-hand account. Oh, I would love that. Last week, ESCOM made the unsurprising but still concerning announcement that South Africa is likely to hit stage eight load shedding this winter. Ferial reminds us that with growing unemployment, especially in the informal sector, the poorest of the poor will feel it the most.
let's let's track back a bit when we're talking about our next story. We cannot yes. go a week without mentioning load shedding. Here yes. we are flirting with stage eight. I still don't know what that looks like. What I do know is what stage six looks like. And it is going to bed without electricity and waking up without electricity. But also what it's done is that there's just so many system failures. So Masa, oh, this week uh, we asked our, our reader, our audience at Daily Maverick, tell us how does stage six feel to you? How many hours are you getting out? And it's average 11 hours. But for mm. many people, the addition where the city grid or the local grid goes out. So often stretching to 14, 15 hours. The technical definition of stage eight, which, which I think we're going to see a bit of in, in winter of 2023, is 16 hours in a 32-hour cycle. And I think that's going to be really, really difficult for people and for the economy. I, I shudder to think we're in autumn. It feels like midwinter already. And to now couple that with load shedding and the price of gas heaters and electric blankets have obviously skyrocketed. And I was also looking this week, Masa, when the employment stats came out, is that people are firing the most vulnerable people, your your informal sector workers and the lowest level of the employment ranks. So 40,000 domestic workers lost their jobs in the quarter under review. So it shows you that the economy is under severe stress. Sure. Climate experts have sounded the alarm as the latest figures show that the world is on track to breach the critical 1.5 degrees Celsius threshold within the next five years. As temperatures continue to soar, the World Meteorological Organization says that at least one of those five years will be the warmest on record for the planet. But Massa and Ferial see a silver lining. Moving along to our next story, I know this may not feel like a real thing, but it is actually getting warmer and warmer. Right now, I am freezing in Johannesburg. However, the World Meteorological Organization has updated us that by 2028, which is not so far, I must say, we will be experiencing our hottest temperatures yet ever recorded. How was that report, Masa? Quite shocking to see global warming is really... It's not something to speak about in the future, it's happening. But also what I found interesting is there's the addition of the human influence as well on climate change. But South Africa has in some way unintentionally basically beat the climate change goals. And you know why? Because of load shedding. So because of regular breakdowns and at the coal-fired power stations, which obviously supply 80% of South Africa's electricity, there's less carbon dioxide being emitted and being pumped into the atmosphere. And that means that South Africa has become a global warming influencer of sorts. And in taste wow, Basta. <laughs> I, I know I always look for green shoots, but I didn't think it would come in that shape and size. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying. I was taking a leaf off your of your um, lessons on your page. But where is the silver lining in this? Yes, global warming is scary. We need to take it um, seriously. But it seems that you know load shedding has been the blessing in disguise for South Africa when it comes. Because we're going to meet our our goal. That's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> I love. I just. I just love that little silver lining. There's like that is such a ferial. I am noting it. I am noting it. Very good. <laughs> maintenance absconders beware the national prosecuting authority is looking to tighten the screws on deadbeat parents who fail to do right by their children 
with many children living in dire conditions when, in fact, they don't need to, the NPA hopes to help parents and children regain their economic powers through improved legal processes. Before I let you go, you know, I have already started up with a green shoot, but this is an actual green shoot. Yes, the NPA tightening its maintenance laws and systems. And this is great news for a lot of single moms. We know that there's a majority of single moms in South Africa raising children by themselves who have to sometimes find themselves on the other side in a courtroom where they have to fight to get some sort of money to help yes. raise their children. I don't know if you've been to that maintenance court, but it's not a space power. How did you experience it? Because I've only heard about it from people I know and love. And it does, it sounds like a daunting experience. And it sounds like the process as well is not only rigorous, but full of red tape and humiliating. You know, Masaki, it was one of the first beats I had was to work the maintenance queues at the magistrate's court. And I think it is one of the things which politicized me as a feminist is to see what women have to go through to make dads up and through the years I've, I've followed but not closely enough recently the efforts to make the maintenance system more nimble more fast and to work for women and you have seen some small victories over the years so to hear that the NPA is going to put in place real practices and procedures to improve women's experience of the court system is really I think a proper green shoot thank you so much for joining me thanks for listening in case you missed any of our earlier episodes, you can find them all now on Spotify and all other major platforms. Also, head on over to the Carte Blanche and Daily Maverick websites for more insightful content. <laughs>